Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Let's give the Lord a hand clap for Thanksgiving today. What do you say? Amen. It's so good to have every single one of you here online. Amen. And of course, in the house. It is Holy Week. I hope you're spending the week being holy. I hope that you're focusing on Jesus. Everybody say, I'm holy because he makes me holy. Amen. His righteousness, not my righteousness. Amen. So we're going to see what God will do tonight. We are on a, a journey, a study, and this has been just so much fun. It was supposed to be a four-week study, and I think we're on week six or seven. I can't remember, but we're going to keep going because it's so good, and his mercy endureth forever. I know a lot of people have Easter week going and a lot of stuff happening. I hope you'll make plans. You online as well. Be with us Friday night right here in this room, 7 o'clock. Listen. We are going to have a church join in with the Carpenter's House is going to join us again this year. And I'm excited about that, having one of our fellow uh, friends in the community, I have a community we spoke, and, and we're excited about uh, Pastor uh, Dreema and Chuck joining us. And uh, they're wonderful people, and we've done this before, and we just want the community. Uh, maybe next year we can get either three or four more and, and come together in a community communion service. Uh, I don't know, but the Lord is going to help us. I believe God called me to pastor Pineview Church, but I also know that God is refreshing my call to pastor this community, to be more involved like we've never been before and uh, be a part of this community. I've been born and raised in Ypsilanti, and I love Ypsilanti, and uh, I believe God has great things for Ypsilanti. Amen? Amen. So we're going to go to the word of the Lord tonight. We have been talking about salvation for all. Salvation for all. And um, uh, I love this subject matter because we're talking about the essence, the necessary steps for salvation and walking with God. How many are thankful that his word is clear, that his word is everlasting? Someone say amen. amen. So I'm so thankful for that. So we're talking tonight about the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit speaking with other tongues. And we're going to cover that. Last week we talked about baptism and we had a great time expressing uh, how the word of the Lord wants us, commands us to be baptized, following in the footsteps of Jesus. So we want to, to move on towards what God would have us. So Acts, Acts 16, you'll find it on the screen behind me, Acts 16 and verse 30 in the New King James. It says, and... He brought them out. This is the jailer that had Paul and Silas in jail, and they sung and they praised God. The earthquake came, and they were released from their bonds, and the jailer was so scared that the, uh, the, the authorities were going to give him trouble, and he was uh, so distraught. And so Paul and Silas came and said, hey, don't hurt yourself. Hey, we're all here. We're all here. And the Bible says he asked them, what must I do to be saved? So we must ask, what must I do to be saved? When you ask that question, you must expect not answers from pastors or friends or moms or dads. You must demand that answer from the word of the Lord. How many know it's the word of God that saves you? Amen. How many know that God is the only one, the only name given under heaven whereby men must be saved? So we look at this and understand. So the question on our lips is, what must I do to be saved? And that's what we're going to talk about. So we know the do's of the gospel. Faith, believing the gospel, repenting of our sins, being baptized in Jesus' name. And this week we're talking about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. So 
we're going to keep going. Um, so we can see um, here in John 14 is where I want to begin. Now, this subject is so expansive that um, I could, I, it was hard for me to pick and choose exactly, um, but I'm going to do a follow-up um, and do a series uh, probably uh, in, the, in the next couple months uh, in continuation uh, of this conversation because I think it's that important. We find that Jesus here is talking to Philip, one of the disciples, and it's in John 14. Now, John 14 is one of my favorite chapters because he reveals himself to the disciples. But Philip had asked, uh, you know, so how, how do we know? What, what's going on? And how do we know that you are really who you say you are? And this is what Jesus said in, in chapter 14, verse 15. And if you love me, he says to Philip, you keep my commandments. Everybody say, keep my commandments. There's a lot of people that declare love towards Jesus but have nothing to do with his commandments. And there's an absolute to God's word. And this is the harshness of truth, not of God, but of truth. It's like going into a, 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 a courtroom where you know you were speeding, they caught you on camera, and you argue with the judge that it's, you, you, you think the speed limit should be 65 when it's only 55. I promise you, you're going home paying a fine and a ticket. If you keep going, you might go to jail. Someone say amen. amen. So why? Because there are absolutes of the law. There are absolutes of the scripture. And we as humans don't like absolutes. We like to create our own endings. And we like to make up our own thoughts. And this is what I think. And well, this is the way I see it. And those are such dangerous places in our lives when we try to put ourselves above the absoluteness of God's word. Someone say amen. amen. So if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. And this is what verse 16 says. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may, what? Read it with me. Abide with you forever. He wants to abide with you forever. He said, I, Jesus speaking, will pray of the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17. The Spirit of truth... Whom the world cannot receive. Everybody say the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. It neither sees him nor knows him. He's talking about Jesus. The world, they don't see him for the Savior. They don't know him as uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it say? Because it neither sees him or knows him. But you, everybody say me. me. You, you know him. You know him, but you know him. How many are glad you know him tonight? For he, how do you know that you, you know him? Because he what dwells with you and, read it with me, will be in you. So he's not just with you, he dwells inside of you. This spirit of truth, this helper coming from the Father, right? So we see that very plainly. He goes on later in this very same chapter, chapter 14, and we start in verse 22. Now he's talking to Judas, not Iscariot, but the other Judas that was a part of the discipleship of Jesus, and said unto him, Lord, how is it that, we will, that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So he's responding to this declaration that the world does not know him or see him. And so... 
Judas is asking, he's saying, well, how, how is this happening? Lord, how is it that you may manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered in verse 23 and answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, here we go again with that love, amen, what he will keep my what? Word. Uh, earlier we read, keep my commandments. They're one and the same. And my father will what? Love him. Here it goes on. And we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come and make our home with him. In other words, he's going to live inside of you. Your body is going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he's going to make a home inside of you. We find that it goes on in verse 24. He who does not love me and does not keep my word and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Now I remind you that in this same chapter 14, he continues to tell them that I, if you've seen me, you've seen my father also. That I and my father are what? One. And if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So we understand that concept of that there is a oneness of God through this presentation. We find that he says this, my word and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, everybody say the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in what? My name. The Holy Spirit is coming the Father is sending it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? And he says, he will teach you. Who will teach you? The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I, Jesus, said unto you. So we can see here that there is a, a understanding here in John 14 that God is going to send this Holy Spirit. The Father is sending the Holy Spirit in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's going to be made a house inside of us he is going to dwell not just with us but where in us so this Holy Spirit this helper that God is sending to us is going to reside with us inside of us we are now the temple of the Holy Ghost we're the temple. What is us? We are the church. This building is just a building. When you walk outside those doors, you don't quit being in the church. The Bible lets us understand that you are the church. You are the one that houses the Holy Spirit with inside of you. So us collectively, we're a bunch of little houses full of the Holy Ghost. And God is using us in our communities and showing us to show love to those individuals that we meet and greet and come in contact with. So John shows us the voice of Jesus revealing to us that there's this concept of understanding. The Holy Spirit is coming. It's not here yet. It's on its way, right? And when it gets it's a helper. It's going to reveal. It's going to teach you all things. It's going to bring remembrance of all the things I've taught you. And that is going to come in my name. So we move to the book of Acts. So Acts is here, and this is Jesus speaking. Now, Jesus is talking to us in the book of Acts, chapter 1, and he is uh, trying to instruct the disciples as well as us, and he says this, And being assembled together with them, Jesus, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? Wait for the what? 
promise of the Father. Someone say the promise of the Father. Now, in John 14, we just read about him saying, the Father is sending a helper. That's the promise. The promise is that it's coming. It's on its way. It will arrive. There's much more to that promise. But that's the concept of it coming out of the book of John, the revelator telling us. Do you know that John lived longer than any other disciple? Do you know that John, he lived longer than the Apostle Paul? Did you know that John... Uh, was uh, alive during the time of Jesus. He was the only one that expanded the, the life of Jesus and the life of Paul. John, the revelator, lived uh, to be over 100 years old. And his writings are so significant in the scripture. If you read the book of John or the books of John um, and the book of Revelation, which he wrote through Revelation from the Lord, um, you will find a, a different voice, a voice that uh, sounds different than all the other disciples and apostles. And uh, it's very interesting. And uh, I love John. I love John's writings. I love his insights. Um, it's very powerful. So let's keep going. So wait for the promise for the which, he said, you have heard from me. We just read about us hearing about it, right? Uh, we just saw Philip and the disciples and then later Judas, not Iscariot, was asking these questions and Jesus reveals this promise that is coming here in John. And then he says this in verse 5, For John truly baptized. Who are we talking about? John the Baptist now. John the Baptist, he truly baptized with water, but you shall be what? Baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we know here in the book of Acts, chapter 1, this is Jesus talking before he is ascended. This is Jesus talking to us and the disciples, letting us know what's coming. There's something coming. The promise that I told you about, it's on its way. It's not going to happen at this very second. It's coming. Don't leave Jerusalem. It's on its way. The power of the Holy Spirit is coming. And so he says, stay there. Therefore, they, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I find it so interesting. Uh, uh, I can feel the frustration of both the disciples and Jesus in this, in this one passage. Because it is here that you see the disciples after spending three and a half years. I'm about to say three and a half years. After seeing miracles. Someone shout miracles. Signs. Wonders. After seeing the cross, after seeing him resurrected from the dead, after being with him at the Last Supper, after walking with him in the cool of the day, after being in him in the Garden of Gethsemane, all these things happen and the disciples are still wondering if you're going to defeat the Romans. Are you going to throw the Romans out? Well, before you go, <laughs> can you please take care of my, my body? Can you please take care? I got this real bad little thing going on. Can you, before you go, God, I, I, I know I should be talking in the spirit realm, but I'm, I'm so connected to my flesh that I can't let go of it long enough to see that I am witnessing the most miraculous thing to ever happen on this planet. But I just want to know, are you going to throw the Romans out? I want you to get focused in your spirit. I, I, the Lord is challenging me, right? We all have bumps and bruises and things and stuff and issues and circumstances and things we wish we could change and can't change and want to change but don't understand how to change. And We all are human in this room. Can I shout it? Someone shout amen. amen. 
But we have to recognize Jesus spent three and a half years trying. Go study the woman at the well and how he was so frustrated that they could not see. That I, I have food you don't even know of. I have water, living water, that you can't even understand. They're trying to feed him from the, the market. He's like, I, you're missing the point. I'm trying to talk to you in the spirit and you continually to try to drag me back to the physical. Be careful in our prayer lives that we don't allow our physical realm to dictate our prayer life. Don't get so caught up in all the things we need that we forget that we have a spirit man we're trying to keep alive. We're trying to keep alive walking in that spirit. You can see that after three and a half years, the people that ate, slept, and drank with Jesus, they still could not get the total picture. So that gives me hope, right? So when I mess up and I, I do something stupid or I, I'm not getting it, what God's really saying to me, I always think about, well, uh, the disciples, they were his and he, were the, he was their schoolmaster and yet they still could not get the fact that they still wanted to know, are you going to throw the Romans out? This is his last words to them. This is the book of Acts. This is where we're talking about the Holy Ghost falling after the resurrection. And the Bible says, and they come together and they ask him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The Bible says in verse 7, And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In other words, it's none of your business. I'm God and I'll do what I please. He says in verse 8, that was Nick's translation. Uh, but he says, but in verse 8, but you shall receive power. He put them right back on the track to where he wanted them to go, right? Stop thinking about restoration of Israel, throwing out the Romans. The Father has that in his hands in his time frame. Let me talk to you about what's really important. You shall receive what? Power. Come on, someone shout power. Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be what? witnesses to me in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth can I tell you something one of the listen to me carefully I hope you write this down if you're online I hope you put this in your notes one of your understandings need to be that the evidence of the Holy Spirit is the power to be a witness the power to be a witness we love to harp on tongues, and that's an important step, but there's more to it. If we cannot do what he says, and ye shall receive power, and you shall be, not maybe, not might, not may, oh, well, if you, no, you shall become witnesses. The evidence of God's power in your life is power to what be a witness in your community. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save who? Them that are lost. So the witness that God is just challenging us from this point, from this scripture, he's telling you, I'm sending this comforter. I'm sending the helper. It's the Holy Spirit. It's coming in my name. You're going to receive this power when the Holy Ghost comes. And you shall be witnesses to me. I, I, I want to say something. And I, I, this is not from a point of judgment or this is a, from a place of conviction for me. I was challenged in the month of February. John Maxwell asked me if I had won somebody personally to Jesus Christ this year. 
Us pastors, of course, we want to say, well, I preach on Sunday and somebody got the Holy Ghost and I, I baptized uh, uh, Brother Tackett's granddaughter here uh, last night in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, of course, I'm, I'm doing, no, no. What have I personally done? Who have I brought to Christ? What gospel have I shared with the community that I'm in, the people I'm in? So I've been challenged, man. So guess what I'm doing? Uh, I've, been, I've been praying, God, send people my way, and guess what he has? And I've been able to be a witness like uh, uh, I should be and should have been. And COVID knocked a lot of this out of us because we got trapped at home and put in our bat and sitting behind and couldn't go out and all that stuff. But that time is over. Someone shout amen. amen. It's time for us to have power to be witnesses. Amen. Not power for excuses, not power for just doing whatever we want. No, we need power to become what God has called us to be from the very beginning. Be a witness for him. Someone shout amen. amen. So what does he say? Acts 2. Right? That was Acts 1. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is coming. Uh, we quote that first part of that scripture a lot. <laughs> You're going to get power. Yeah, power for what? To be witnesses. It, it says here that in the day of Pentecost... This is Acts 2 now, right? And the day of Pentecost, after Jesus spoke, he tells them what's coming, and then there is the unfolding of what he spoke about. When the day of Pentecost had what? Fully come. They were all with what? One accord. Can I tell you something? We cannot have schisms and isms in the body of Christ and be in one accord. I can disagree with you. I can disagree with you politically. I can disagree with you uh, about the color of the wall. I can disagree with you about what kind of weather's good or if barbecues taste good. But I cannot disagree about, with you about the fact that there is a name that's above every name. And that name is Jesus. And I need to be saved by that name. And I need to repent and be baptized. I need to be filled with this. Why? Because that is the basis of our belief and our faith in Christ. Someone shout amen. amen. So suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Everybody shout suddenly. suddenly. Uh, how many are glad God can do things suddenly? Amen. I want you to think about this. This moment. Verse 2. I want you to put this in perspective. From Genesis to Acts chapter 2 verse 2. There has been a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world this Holy Ghost that Joel prophesied about this Holy Ghost that flowed through the Old Testament in mirrors and shadows as we looked and with awe of Christ coming to us the culmination of all those prophecies being uh, fulfilled by the name of Jesus and by the blood of the Lamb. All of that culminates. It builds to this one moment. And suddenly, what took thousands of years, 2,000 years, suddenly there was a sound. I'm going to tell you something. God has that in your life. There's going to be a sudden moment where all the suffering and pain and understandings that you want. What in Lord are you doing with me? And suddenly there's going to be a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It's going to fill you up where you are sitting. And he's going to put cloven tongues as a fire. And he's going to let you be renewed in your spirit and renewed in your goal and renewed in your hope. I don't want you to ever forget that this one passage is the culmination of thousands of years of prophetic word. 
and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This he prophesied of. This he spoke of in John. This is what he spoke of in all of his teachings. That there was one that was coming. There was something that was happening. There was a promise that was on its way. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. In verse 3. Then, then there appeared to them divine or divided tongues. As of fire. This is the New King James. In the King James it says what? Cloven tongues. Right? Which means divided. Uh, divided tongues as fire as it set upon each of them. And they were all what? Filled. Someone shout all. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was an evidence that took place. So that others could know. And others could understand. And they themselves would know. The evidence was what? They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Now, I want to talk to you about, as, a, as a, a couple months ago, I talked to you about studying the Word of God. And one of the things that I did not have time to cover, I want to cover in very brief moment here. Um, I am a firm believer that you need to understand the laws of hermeneutics when you are studying the Word of God. Very important. I also am an absolute believer that you must understand the context of the Scripture you are reading. What you read in the Old Testament is not what you're reading in the New Testament. There is crossover and there's absolutes, but you need to understand that the Old Testament was written to the Jews and to law-abiding people. The New Testament is being written to what? To people that are set free from the law and that are born by the blood of Christ and are new creatures in Him. And so we, we see them and view them differently, right? One is to the church. One is to the Jews, right? And, and you understand that concept. It's not a kind of absolute, the precept of that. Um, you will also understand the law of first mention. And I'm not going to go into hermeneutics tonight. Um, it's important. Hermeneutics um, is, um, to English, what grammar, the gra rules of grammar are, Right? So commas, semicolons, all, all, how you read, you know, uh, you know the, the, the old uh, bank robber said to the preacher when he visited him in jail, the pastor comes and says, you know, the Bible says that he, have, that he that has stole should steal no more, but let him work with his hands. And the old bank robber said, pastor, I'm sorry, but you've got the comma in the wrong place. He said, what do you mean? He said, let him that has stole steal no more let him work with his hands. <laughs> it's just the movement of a comma. That's important, isn't it? It changes the verse entirely. And so it is with ancient languages and hermeneutics. But we won't go into the law of hermeneutics at this time. I'll, I'll touch on that later. One of the things I do want to tell you about, though, is the law of first mention. Now, uh, there are scholars that debate uh, the law of first mention. And there are, there are uh, uh, things that I would preface when I say the law of first mention. The law of first mention must be in context. Everybody say context. It also must be uh, in, in testament. In other words, the law of first mention must be as, as, as far as uh, contextually in the right testament. So you can't take something from the Old Testament and bring it to the New Testament and make it your what you're living by based on law of first mention. And I'll explain in a second. So the law of first mention is what? A guideline used to study scriptures 
The law first mentioned says that to understand a particular word or doctrine, we must find the first place in scripture that word or doctrine is revealed and study those passages. So when we learn about life, right, we go to Genesis and find out what God did, how important it was. When we learn about the importance of, of family, we learn, so we can go back in these concepts and in, in, uh, understanding what holiness is, understanding what all these different things, these big themes in the scripture. Law first mention is very important. So the reason that the law first mention is uh, a concept that is, is it's very simple and very clear um, it presents a more stable place for you to understand, right? Let me give you an example. And when we talk about angels, well, where do we find the first angels, right? Where do we find the first angels? We find them in the book of Genesis, right? We can read the story about the war in heaven and in, in chronologically from the book of Revelations about what happened in Genesis, right? We can, we can also look in Peter and find out that they left their first estate. He gives us their history. When we read about angels, we want to go to the root of where, where, who are the angels and how do we know about them, right? So you, you don't start with a passage, you start with their history. Does that make sense? So the same is true in these moments. You have to understand when we're talking about doctrine, the same is true. So to fully understand the importance of a, of a complex theological concept, uh, Bible students are advised to start with this law of first mention. Find out where it begins. So when we begin to look at the Holy Spirit speaking with the tongues, we land right here in the book of Acts. So the law of first mention says that this law is going to dictate every time the Holy Spirit is referred to, that we'll refer back to what it did or what it was at the very beginning. You follow that? So when you have the law of first mention... The writers didn't have to keep talking about the extents of all that was the experience of the New Testament holy and filling of the Holy Spirit, but they referenced it knowing that the writers that would write about it later. Now, in the book of Acts, we see multiple times, and we're going to look at that very quickly, where it's mentioned in part. But when we talk about infilling of God's Spirit, you must go back to the law of first mention and say, what, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, what, did the, what happened in Acts chapter 2? That's what it means, because that's the law of first mention. Any questions about that? Uh, is everybody clear on it? Am I good, Chris? Zayla? Uh -huh. All right. So, when you have, yeah, Roseanne. Okay. There are other places in Scripture yeah. that says the Spirit was upon Peter mm -hmm. as Okay. And when the Spirit is upon that person, they prophesy, mm -hmm. like um, King Saul. Mm -hmm. He prophesied with the prophets and stuff. So that's not the law of first mention in this case, then, right? No, it's not. Uh, because they're, they're different. Contextually, they're different. Okay. And that's a great question. So let's just take a moment and talk about that, right? So. Contextually, we're talking about two different things in the spirit realm, right? So I'm talking about the, the initial sign of speaking in other tongues as an evidence of the Holy Spirit residing in you. So the Holy Spirit can be in me, but then he can also pour himself out on me in a moment of anointing, in a moment of, of revelation, in a moment. So Christ can be in me and still pour himself up on me to do things, to 
uh, you know, Samson, right? We can talk about to, to break down walls, whatever. We, but I want to extrapolate that not from the Old Testament, not from Saul or Samson. I want to move us to the New Testament, right? Because contextually, it's not a part of that, right? It's a part of our new covenant with Christ. So when I look at what, what, what do I see here? Well, it's the same thing. It's, it's, we have the, the gift of tongues, right, that are prophetic and our uh, interpretation and all those gifts. But then we have this, this sign, this evidence of tongues that is showing the Holy Spirit in us. So he can operate or pour himself out on you. I was talking to somebody today and I said, I'm a pastor, but I also operate in many of the gifts of the Spirit. But my, my, uh, my main gift, the one that I excel in and I'm anointed for on a regular basis is the gift of pastor, right? So I don't, I don't you know, I, I, I've prophesied maybe five or eight times in my entire life in a public setting, right? It's not my main gift. It doesn't mean I can't operate in it, but it means that it's not what I'm gifted to or anointed for, right? It's not my main gifting. And every one of us have a, a, what we, I would call a main gifting, a gifting that is dominant in our lives from the Holy Spirit. Paul says, seek ye after the best gifts, right? So seeking after those gifts, though, but we will always have one that we work in that's dominant in our lives. Some of us uh, more than others. I know I know uh, Brother Suber is a prophet, but he's also a pastor. So he operates very heavily in two very distinct groups. You know, my bishop, you know, he operates in an apostleship uh, and, and in a pastoral role, you know. Um, and I, I think that those are distinctions that God can be in you unequivocally, but he can also be stronger upon you, pour his spirit upon you. Does that make sense? Any other? Did I answer that? Yes, Chris. You got. You got to talk loud. So I'm going to. Um, I'm going to. Uh, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not going to tonight um, at length uh, because I would be here all night uh, because I have a lot to say. Um, I would suggest that you start by reading First Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. All right, First Corinthians chapter. So I want you to notice that he talks to us about spiritual gifts and then he tells us without love in those spiritual gifts we are nothing and then he tells us further about prophesying in chapter 14. Okay? And then after you read those I'd love to sit with you guys and talk. But I'm going to teach it in this setting just not at this very second. But yes, I'm going to deal with that. And by the way, just so you know you cannot operate in the gifts of the Spirit including prophecy until you are producing the fruit of the Spirit. So I want you to study those fruits as well. Right? Okay. Good. Yeah, oh no. Good. It's good. Perfect. Anybody else? Amen. This is good. I love questions. Anybody on the internet have questions? Uh, on Facebook? No? All right. If you do, put them on the comment section and... Uh, Nan will tell me if they're there sometime. So let's keep going. So Peter preached. Let's talk about Peter preached those things uh, to those who witnessed the out, this outpouring, right? So the, if you read Acts chapter 2 in its entirety, you'll find that there's this group of people that are gathered there for the festivities of Pente the Feast of Pentecost. And 
um, they're all gathered around. They hear this noise in the upper room and they gather around. And those in the upper room, the Bible says that they were speaking with other tongues. And, and there was uh, just uh, amazing energy and people talking. And the men come up and they, they were speaking. And there, there were men from all over the world. And every man heard his language being spoke by these Jews. And they were like, what in the world is this? Are they drunk? And Peter said, they are not drunk as ye suppose. And he preached that first message about the Savior that loves them. Jesus that they killed on Calvary rose again here to deliver you. And then they asked, what do we do to be saved? They were pricked in their hearts, the Bible says. Right? And they asked that question. And then we find in Acts, right? 2 and 33. Let's read this together. Therefore being exalted to the right hand. This is Peter preaching. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The helper sent by the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear what I was just saying? How many believe there's no other name? <laughs> we find that he says, And having received, the Father, uh, received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now what? See and hear. Everybody say see and hear. See and hear. This is one of the evidences for our understanding that we have a peek into what was happening that day. Not only did they observe it with their eyes, but if they were blind, they could have observed it with their ears. They could observe it both with their eyes and their ears. So when you understand that, you understand that this tongues that we're talking about, that they, they, it, was, it was something that was out loud. It was something that was being uh, uh, transmitted outwardly from these individuals. It was not something that they did just in their heart, right? It was something they were doing actively as God filled them with his Holy Spirit. Someone shout amen. amen. So... The Holy Spirit, he poured out, which you now see and hear. Um, I'm going to keep going. Acts 2.38, this is what we find in the uh, very important passage um, in here in the passage uh, of Acts. We find that he says what in Acts 2.38, then Peter said to them, after he preached, and they said, what shall we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? This is what he said. And then Peter said to them, repent. Everybody say repent. Yeah. Every one of you, everyone, let every one of you be what? Baptized. We go back to last week in the command. Um, I get very, very frustrated about, uh, about uh, doctrines of men, right? When we, when we allow the doctrine of men to overrule the word of God, we find ourselves in great dire straits, Right? Uh, there, there are many sects out there in the Christian world that does not believe that baptism is of necessity. Now, I quoted it last week, um, but uh, you can find it to be true in, in, in the study of this from others' perspectives. At, uh, I said last week, they, the man on his podcast said that we don't believe that baptism is necessary for your salvation, but we don't know how you're going to be saved without it. You know, it's like a double entendre. It's like uh, it's it doesn't make sense to the human mind. It doesn't make sense to to anybody, in my opinion. Um, 
There's all, you know, this is also a Calvinistic view. This is, there's multiple things that come into play here. And I'm not trying to despair those that may believe like that. I want to walk beside them and help them see the furtherance and truth of God's word. Because truly, it is God's word that we have to live and be accountable to. Listen, I don't care about John Piper or uh, whoever in the world out there. I'm just naming one because I saw a video of him today. Um, uh, all these other uh, people that may have opinions and writings, the writings of Calvin, the writings of Martin Luther, they are not the word of God. Our church fathers are not the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen from anybody? Amen. I'm telling you the truth. Can I get an amen? amen. Y'all are being too quiet for me. So, what does he say? Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift. Everybody say gift. Yes. Now, uh, this is in the book of Acts, this is the first time that we see the word gift, right? Gift of the Holy Ghost. There's an importance here because. A gift is something that you receive of free will. It's not something that you get based on your status, based on what you give in return. A gift is freely given. It is something that you get without your um, uh, being holy. It's something God says, I'm going to give you if you obey me, if you'll listen to my word and obey that word, I'm going to give you this gift, it's already there for you. You just must follow the process of receiving. Now, I've already spoke for a second, and I'll continue to do so. And, and you know, I've, I've received criticism uh, just from my close friends uh, about the fact I've, I, you know, And we, I was raised in a tradition that emphasized tongues so greatly that we forgot we were seeking the Holy Ghost. And I'm sorry, but that's just my experience. And that doesn't mean we were wrong. It just means I think this, the focus became such that we only focused on getting people to speak in tongues and not be disciples of Jesus Christ. I know that to be true. And so sometimes I counteract that by... by making sure that people understand that speaking in tongues does not guarantee your salvation. Let that sink in for a second. Speaking in tongues is a part of your continuation of being saved. It is a part of the gifting that God wants to give you. It is your daily walk that you must be able to be with the Lord and be in relationship with the Lord. It's not something that you do put in a canister and put in the back of the closet. And too many times we have encouraged people or stressed people to do something that they did not feel to do and it ended up being our wishes and not their own wishes and it ended up being something that we pursued and became an idol. I'm just going to blow some brains out right there, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right, anything you put above God becomes an idol. Can I tell you that? This, this Coca-Cola can become an idol to me if I want How many know that there's people that would probably die for a can of Diet Coke, right? Well, I know people that will. <laughs> um, uh, but but I'm, I'm making light there. Um, understand today that in this moment, 
the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking of the tongues, was it's a promise. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? It's a part of your promise. How do I know? Well, the law of first mention says when they got the Holy Ghost in Acts 1, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. So I know that what they're talking about here is the same thing they're talking about in the book of Acts chapter 1. So, but the emphasis is on the Spirit of the Holy One, the Spirit of God in your life. I, I'm going to say this, and please, but, and I'm just, just being me, just being Nate, but a life unchanged by the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues is not being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you continue sin, Pastor Super said something, the, the Holy Spirit did not come to make you a better sinner. He came to deliver you from sin, right? So, it, I'm going to tell you something, speaking of the tongues is the best thing that's ever happened to me because it's my prayer language. It's part of what the power that comes, the feeling. I know when I'm touching God's throne through that gift that God has given me, but I cannot live like the devil and talk in tongues and think I'm okay. Come on now. I know I'm very popular tonight. So this is the gift. Let's keep going. Acts 10. I don't want to stay there too long, but I don't, I don't, want, us, I don't want us to, to emphasize something and think that that's the end all to end all. It is unequivocally a part of this experience that God has for you. But it is honest, also unequivocally a part of the bigger experience. Try unforgiveness on for a while and see how that works with your Holy Ghost. Not going to happen because he said, if you can't forgive your, the, the, the man you have seen, how can you forgive the God you can, can't see? I'm paraphrasing. So, let's go. Acts 10. We're going to look very quickly here at some of the places that we see this example, right? Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, he was preaching to those in Acts 10. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. I, I believe that happens even when we have him inside of us. We hear the word. Have you ever had that experience where the word of God just overwhelms you, your senses, and you, you weep, you cry, you feel that spirit of God touch you and mend you and help you and, and take away those things that need to go? The Bible says, who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed, the Jews, were astonished. As many as come with Peter, because the gift, there it is again, of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. This is a whole nother thing. We find Peter, the Jews, and they're having a great time talking in tongues. And all of a sudden, the Gentiles start getting the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. They're like, hey, this is our stuff. You continue going to hell. This is our stuff. And they got, there was a big argument, big fight, man. Peter was very, God had to send an angel, drop a sheet down in the middle of his dream and say, look, what I have cleansed, let no man call unclean. Why? Because our traditions, I'm going to step on this a little bit, our traditions sometimes overrule what God is actually saying to the church through his word. That's where we got to step away, have a revelation from God, and what he has cleansed, let no man call unclean. Everybody shout amen. amen. So we have to study to show ourselves approved, right? So it's important. Those of the circumstances who believe were astonished, as many as come with Peter, and begin the gift of the Holy Ghost, uh, had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they, how did they know they were being poured out? Come on, talk to me. What? They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So again, there's an evidence of the book of Acts, chapter 1, we find 
that it is a, a, a reiteration, it's, it's, it's a replay, so to speak, of what exactly happened on the, on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. There we, how did you know? Well, we heard and see them. Here, they heard them speak with tongues and magnifying or magnify God. So we can see in Acts 10 that there is an evidence that the Holy Spirit and tongues are unequivocally connected. Can you see that? Someone say amen. amen. They heard them, right? Someone say amen. amen. <laughs> Thank you, Nan. <laughs> Come on. The Bible says in Acts 19, we're going to jump up to Acts 19. The Bible says in verse 5, this is the disciples of Jesus meeting up with the disciples of John the Baptist. And they hadn't heard there be a such a holy, they had not even heard there be a Holy Ghost. They had been baptized into the baptism of John. Uh, I, I, this is one of the important factors. I didn't put it in here because I should have. But this is one of those passages that I learned so much from as a pastor. Um, Brother Carl, can you pull that, pull that up? Acts 19 verse 1. Um, I, I, I should have put it in here. Um, but I want you to want you here. Can you read it loud? And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus. Right. And finding certain disciples. Everybody say certain disciples. Certain they were disciples of John the Baptist. Go ahead. He said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Stop right there. So everybody shout, they were believers. They had taken a step of faith by being baptized unto the baptism of repentance. He did not berate them. He did not tell them they're going to hell in a handbasket. He did not try to, uh, to intimidate them. He simply provided them with greater truth. Right? And the reason we know, because John had told them there's another that's coming. John was always pointing them to Jesus. So in this passage, I've always, I've always understood better about how I'm supposed to treat people that have not the fullness of what God has given me as an understanding. I'm not to treat them as people that have uh, some sort of disease or they got a problem or we shouldn't fellowship with them, they're out of faith, blah, blah, blah. I don't see that whatsoever. I see just the opposite. I see someone saying, hey, man, <laughs> I got some more news to tell you. I got some more stuff to talk about. Having a discussion. Go ahead, Brother Carl. What did it say? Go to they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Right. And he said to them, to what then were you baptized? And they said, to John's baptism. Then said Paul, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, right. saying to the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. Right. That is on Christ Jesus. And verse 5 on the screen says what? And when they heard this, they were what? Baptized, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they what? spake with tongues and prophesied. We'll talk more about prophecy. Um, and prophesied. So we find very quickly that there was these people that were believers, they had good hearts, they loved the Lord. Someone say amen. amen. This pastor will never, by the way, it's above my pay grade. 
I will never judge somebody else's walk with Christ. Ever. I know what I will espouse. I know what the truth God has revealed to me. I know what I'm going to preach. But I will never say to any man, woman, or child that they're lost. It's above my pay grade. I would have told, if it wasn't, and I would have told Rahab, she's splitting hell wide open. Are you hearing me? I would have told David to just give it up because he's, he's booked himself one-way ticket to hell. Because he was a murderer and an adulterer and he sinned all kinds. He was, oh my God. And God said he's a man after my own heart in the book of Acts. So when we look at those moments, we have to remove. The Bible says that there's only one righteous judge. What's his name? Jesus. That's right. It's death and then the what? Judgment. So we got to be very, very careful. I'm going to preach the word without fear or favor. Amen. We're going to let God work on the hearts of men of women. We're going to emphasize the things that God emphasizes. We're going to be silent where he's silent and loud where he's loud. Because that's what God has called us to be. To be disciple makers. So when we look at this and understand that I, I, I'm going to pray. I always go back to Pink Palmer. Pink Palmer got you know, 89 years old, been a drunk his whole life. Amazing man, though. I loved. He had a soft heart. Was sitting, we sit right back there by Brother Aaron. We're back in that that area. Sister Tilly, his wife, had been praying for him for fifty years. I'm not lying. She'd been praying for him and, and for fifty years. And one Sunday, he got up and said, "I want to be baptized." And about three weeks later, he said, uh, he came to this altar, kneeled, and he received the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. We heard and seen him speak with other tongues. Right? Does that mean that? That you know somehow he missed out. No, that's we can't judge that. That's none of our business. That's between him and God. What I do know is that he fulfilled and obeyed the word of God. Someone say amen. amen. So the Holy Spirit came upon them, spoke with tongues, and prophesied. Um, this is what it says. Uh, let's go here to um, to First Corinthians thirteen. Uh, I read this passage of scripture this entire chapter for 52 weeks in 2008, 2009. Um, I, I read that uh, passage because I believe the Lord was speaking to us as a body of Christ and as an individual to move from judgment to love. We love to judge others, don't we? We love to give our opinion. Did you know that when you come to Christ, you give up your ability to have an opinion about others? Thy kingdom come. Not my, not my opinion come. Thy kingdom come. Did you know that? It's hard for us. It's hard for us as humans. It's hard for me. I have very strong opinions about what my wife should make me for breakfast, but she doesn't seem to get the memo. I don't know what's going on. I'm just joking. She brought me a wonderful roll today. Lots of fat. Lots of sugar. Had the shakes ever since. God bless her. Um, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> it's Coke Zero, brother. Um, so, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. Here's the, here's the essence of it, right? And have not love. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Keep reading in this chapter. You're going to read over and over that I can't. I can't give all my money away in, in the name of being good or doing good and that makes up for me being a jerk and being 
sinful. It's not what the, the scripture says. If I don't have love, it doesn't matter. I can't prophesy, talk in tongues, and still live like the devil and not show love, then I'm tinkling symbol and sounding. I'm nothing. The Bible says I am nothing. Right? So I always, I always bring myself back to this passage because I have to remind myself, no matter what I'm doing, I must do. The Bible tells us to do all things in love. we got to love. That's our job. That's very interesting. <laughs> Is... Is it, what is that? I have. It's the midnight hour. It's the midnight hour. Would that have been awesome if I'd been teaching about the second coming of Christ? Here's the midnight hour. Dong, dong. That would have been so cool. Those of you who are on Facebook, we got this bell ringing in the church. I don't know what it, what's going on. But anyway, I, I want to find out what that is because I do not want that happening again. Um, so anyway, it was like church bells or something. I felt like I was a big Ben in London. Um, so anyway, back to speaking in tongues. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not charity. So what am I saying? You can talk in tongues all you want, but if you don't have love, you're really not. It's nothing. We believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues, but we also emphasize the fact that it better be the Holy Spirit that you're getting full of. Because tongues is not what you're seeking. It's God's presence that you're seeking. It's his glory. Look at here in Galatians as I close. Galatians 5 and 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. How do I know I'm having a change of life? We've talked about salvation. We've talked about the four elements, right? We've talked about the do's of the gospel. We don't put time frames on them. We put the fact that we need to be drawn in and understand them and go forward in Christ. But one of the things you need to clearly understand is that the way I know that the Holy Spirit is working in me is my life begins to change. There are a lot of us that have experienced God for many, many years, but he, we never let him change us. And we did not produce the fruit of the Spirit. How I know that I'm living for Jesus and he's living in me is I begin to produce the things that he wants to be produced in my life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The evidence, the true evidence of a salvation experience is that you produce this in your life. The true evidence of being a disciple of Jesus is you begin to produce this fruit in your life. It doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean you had it all together. But you begin to produce good things. You begin to produce the things of the spirit, not of the flesh. You begin to produce the things that God wants you to walk in, not what your flesh wants you to walk in. Amen? Amen? So the true test of salvation is not marking the boxes, ladies and gentlemen. The true test of a salvation experience is a changed life.
for Christ. There are a lot of people, and I'm sorry to say this, and again, this is above my pay grade, but I'm going to observe something here. There are a lot of people that check all those boxes and they're not producing the fruit that God called them to produce. And I know in my own life that if I'm not producing that fruit, then I am not fulfilling the law of God in my life. So I've got to what? Change. I've got to be renewed. I've got to be reborn. I've got to go back to the altar. I've got to go back to a place of repentance. I've got to go back through the process of being refilled with the Holy Spirit. It's not that I lost it. It's just grown dim in my life. One of my favorite passages here lately is, is out of 1 Samuel. You, you find that Eli, I preached this, but it just has, it won't leave me is the fact that Eli was the prophet and there was so much sin and debauchery in his life and his son's lives and it was just, it was putrid. God hated it. He was raising up Samuel. They were sleeping next to the ark of God, the Bible says. They were tending the light of God that would never go out and they were sleeping in the same room with the ark. This ark is the same ark that parted the waters of Jordan. This is the same ark that knocked down the idols of their captors. This is the same ark that killed a man as he just tried to steady it on the way. But now the ark of God, the power of God, the God that was only known on this earth right there, the mercy seat, the angels, all that was, the rod of Aaron and the, the tablets that were there, all that power was in that box, but it was doing nothing. They were, the Bible says that Samuel did not even know the voice of God and that the word of God was rare in his life. Don't let the familiarity of these passages that we read become in the corner furniture of our lives. Don't let our familiarity as we come into this... We're going to go... Good Friday is going to come and we're going to offer a communion with the Lord in remembrance of his death. Don't let that become commonplace. Don't let that become, because all that we're talking about, the salvation for all, it's no good if we don't stay saved, if we don't keep our faith, if we don't endure to the end, the same shall be saved. There must be a determination that says, I'm all in. Jesus is my king, not just in the good times, but in every time. And that I am going to see my life given over totally to him. And I'm going to walk in his ways, not my ways. I'm going to do his will, not my will. It's in those moments that we fully can embrace the fact that his salvation is complete in our lives. It's not... Just something we do in a checkbox. Yep, I did that. Yep, I did that. Yep, I did that. No, that's not it at all. He wants relationship, not religion. He wants a relationship with us. Someone shout amen. amen. If you're here tonight on Facebook with me, I hope that you've enjoyed this study. Uh, you can leave me messages or, or, or talk to me uh, offline. Uh, but also this, this week, of course, Good Friday. Uh, we're going to be celebrating um, the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Easter Sunday is this Sunday. I hope you'll join me and uh, join Pineview Church. I love every one of you. God bless you and have a great evening in Jesus' name.